The Urbanist is brought to you in association with the Department of Culture and Tourism, Abu Dhabi. Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi is a beacon of hope and inspiration. A catalyst to spark growth and collaboration with museums and experiences, where art and science and nature and technology coexist. The belief of Abu Dhabi that culture is the backbone of our society. Stay tuned for a special episode of the show, in which you can hear His Excellency Mohammed Khalifa Al-Mubarak explain exactly why and how Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi is the perfect place to collaborate, create, and innovate. Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi, proud partner of The Urbanist on Monocle Radio. Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monocle 24's programme all about the built environment and how to make our cities better places to live in. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Coming up... The next uh, key route will be to uh, find some ways to enforce model shift from private individual mobility to shared mobility. Kicking off our unofficial conference season here on The Urbanist, we decamped to Berlin for the 13th edition of InnoTrans, the leading international trade fair for transport and mobility technology. Bringing together a collection of international exhibitors, executives, experts and enthusiasts, all from the transit realm, Monocle's team raced around this city within a city to take on board all of the exciting conversations and interesting innovations taking place in the festival grounds. So stay tuned over the next 30 minutes right here on The Urbanist, and I'll leave you now in the hands of today's guide, Monocle's David Stevens. One thing was clear from the opening moments of InnoTrans 2022, transport is a serious business. That rather dramatic introduction certainly matches the dramatic scale of this event though, with almost 200,000 square metres of exhibition space spread across 27 halls, InnoTrans is a feat of logistics in and of itself. Taking place at Mesa Berlin, it's the largest trade fair of its kind, offering exhibitors, visitors and press who are interested in transport and mobility a mecca in the German capital. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you today here in Berlin to InnoTrans 2022. That's Martin Ecknick, the CEO of Mesa Berlin, addressing the crowd to open this year's event. InnoTrans is in many respects a special countries occupying the entire ground here in Berlin. 
tool to its slogan, the Inertrack slogan, the future of mobility, the products, solutions, and services of tomorrow's rails can be reviewed already today. InnoTrans wisely focuses its extensive exhibitors into five main categories railway technology, railway infrastructure, public transport, interiors, and tunnel construction. But it's not all boring. Beyond the newest advances in ball bearing technology or innovations in braking systems, the urbanist is here to use this moment and this meeting of minds to get a steer on where the transport industry is heading for the future. First, let's get a lay of the land by checking in with some of the countries and regions represented. And it seems only fair that our first stop is right here in Germany. I'm Axel Schuppe. I'm running the German Railway Industry Association as general manager. And the Innotrans is our baby yeah? since more than 25 years almost. I think what the world could learn from Germany is from the industrial point of view, technology and how we create complex technology in cooperation between small and medium-sized enterprises and the largest large system integrators. And what Germany could learn from other parts of the world is velocity. Rail technology is worldwide almost linked to public business. And public money is in the rail technology and rail operation. And the velocity or the speed, how political decisions are made, uh, how political decisions are made to find the answers on climate change, and then end. That sometimes could be faster in Germany. Casting an eye towards the European continent as a whole, I was privileged to be able to get some time in the bustling exhibition hall with the European Commissioner for Transport, Adina Valian. The Commissioner sees the continent as a global leader when it comes to transport, but there's still plenty of potential to be realised, and that requires cross-border cooperation. Commissioner Valian explained how she thinks we can tap into Europe's potential. I was mentioning our flagship initiative last year, the Connecting Europe Express, a train going through all the capitals in Europe. In fact, it was not only one train, but three trains, because of the technical problems and the interoperability of the national networks. So this, I would start with that. So this is where much more needs to be done. And that's why we are proposing new technical standards for interoperability. We have good programs, good legislation, but it needs to be implemented. Our framework and legislation has two pillars. One is a technical pillar, which needs implementation so that everyone has the same standards. And a commercial pillar, that means opening markets, more competition, because more competition brings, of course, better services and lower prices. Thirdly, uh, we need to introduce more innovation and digitalization in um, rail operations. But for this, we need dynamic data for other businesses being able to uh, use it and propose services. And I'm thinking, for example, at ticketing. Nowadays, this is a real obstacle for people willing to take a train across borders in Europe because there is not enough transparency or openness in making a choice and uh, buying a ticket. So we need basically all this fragmented market, national markets, to come together into a truly single market for rail operations. So, what's there to look forward to for those travelling around Europe? 
night trains are uh, getting very attractive as an idea and we do have night train operating across borders but this is very much subsidized what uh, i would like to see it's uh, having uh, a take off as a commercial offer which is uh, viable economically for this well, there is a need to uh, better invest in infrastructure because you need high speed if it takes too long even if it's a night train it's not attractive but to replace other modes of transportation with a night train you actually need to have a better infrastructure better communication opening of the markets as i said competition for this anyway for cross border rail we have uh, launched as european commission pilots so we are inviting operators to propose a pilot project so that will be a good opportunity to put their minds together and see how they overcome some obstacles and uh, how they can offer together a best service for customers. And while those individual countries do have their own unique challenges, many of the concerns of those local associations cross borders too. Here's the Spanish Railway Association General Director, Pedro Fortea. Something that we are worried about, of course, uh, the same as probably all different industries in, in Europe, is about the inflation issue right now, the war, the energy crisis. So those are things that we need to try to get a long view of how it's going to be. So there is not a clear vision about the future, but we know that the future in general is going to be good for the rail sector and for mobility. In terms of political support, rail is being supported, I think, clearly by, by Europe. It's been supported also, in our case, in Spain. So there are funds, there are projects, there's a good future, I guess, for Spanish rail, uh, you know, for the European Spanish rail mobility. But now with the situation, maybe we need to get a clear idea of how things going to be. So there's uncertainty in the market. But, uh, but I think it's something that is not going to be uh, here in, in, in some years' time. So being here is a good opportunity to see how things are going to be. For us, it's very important to have a demanding market. When it comes to talk about Europe, to have funding, to have opportunity to cooperate with other modes of transportation. It's not about rail competing with other transportation modes, but you know, to get connected and, and to try to allocate rail transport in the middle as a backbone of mobility of the future. And then when it comes to talk about uh, other markets, not only in, in Spain or Europe, we need to work on trying to get those markets more accessible which is a difficulty that, for example, our companies uh, find when trying to do business in other, in other places. InnoTrans has a strong delegation from outside of Europe too, and some of the same issues and opportunities often don't apply in other parts of the world. So, what's the view like further abroad? So my name is Caroline Wilkie, I'm the CEO of the Australasian Railway Association, and we have around 200 delegates attending this event from across Australia. I think for the Australian delegation, having lived in a country that has had its borders closed for much of the past two years, we haven't had that global exposure to the global rail industry. So I think that is what made Inatrans so important. I think as well, there's been a real change just in the last two and a half years that I've been CEO in terms of how the industry is looking at itself and what its future will be. We have just had a change in federal government, which is very much focused on sustainability, net zero and what the future for Australia looks like. And so I know that a lot of our delegation are very interested in seeing the latest technology and innovation, but particularly in that sustainability space. 
for us at the moment, we're, we're in a different position, I suppose, to Europe in that a lot of our projects are greenfield in terms of developing cities and how we can start from scratch. So I think we have that advantage. I think as well for Australia in the freight space, obviously during COVID, supply chain became a very significant issue for us. We're building inland rail, we're doing these other very exciting rail projects. But obviously this week our focus is on learning from from Europe and others and I'm really excited to see that there are people from all over the world who will be here this week. I'm Sebastian Kurt. I'm Secretary General of Alamis, the Latin America Association of Metro and Subways. I think we are having maybe new challenges, challenges more related uh, in how we, first of all, recover all the loss of passengers we had some years ago, and also these new challenges related in how, for example, we will engage again passengers that are getting used to work at home, that are getting used to buy things everywhere, not traveling to the supermarket or not traveling I don't know, to their past usual places. So I think one of the most exciting things today as a challenge in these metro subway uh, companies is to engage, re-engage all the passengers and reimagine a little bit uh, how's the new way of getting connected with them. All these huge assets that usually companies have, uh, stations, trains, uh, systems, etc., uh, need to be, let's say, uh, reimagined to get new functionalities. For example, in a station, maybe if you're not used to maybe use the train anymore to traveling uh, to work, maybe you can use this to go to a service or maybe you can use it to go to our art exhibition in a station or to get together with a friend and have a coffee. So you need to start making these stations more meaningful to the community, more connected to the community. So they can start being not only a transport infrastructure, but also being a community infrastructure where you can gather, where you can go to somewhere else, or maybe you can get connected with friends or family maybe. So I think that's the challenge in particular, to reimagine the transport infrastructure. Now that we've got a temperature read on the different rail industries around the world, what are the biggest issues being discussed by this international roster of exhibitors and attendees? What became very clear very quickly is that the first issue off the tongue for most when discussing the future of transport is one that it's clear isn't going away. Climate change and sustainability. If you ever visited a flight tracking website, you'll notice the swarm of activity that envelops the European continent. And many campaigners for the climate see the over-reliance on air travel as one of the behaviours which has to shift to address the climate emergency. A shift that rail, of course, can help to facilitate. So you may expect that with all that talk of combating emissions going on in the halls of Mesa Berlin, that most of those making their way here from across Europe would have a train ticket in the back of their pocket reading Berlin Hauptbahnhof, right? As European Commissioner for Transport Adina Valiant had explained on stage during her opening address, it's not quite that simple. So I asked her how she made the trip from Brussels to Berlin. I wanted to challenge the audience because uh, actually they need to do more to improve the quality of train services and that's why I've told them I couldn't get here but it's not the first time for example when I went to take a train and I don't find tickets so I came by plane but uh, to be just fair I attended aviation events going by train so it's not a preference it's how you can move from A to B in a sustainable way but in good conditions, and we need to invest more in uh, high-speed rail services. We have noticed that where in Europe, 
there is high-speed connection between cities, the customer prefers to take the train. So I'm trying to push everyone to do their job in order to be able to offer us um, short-time, quality, high-speed rail connections across Europe. For uh, prices, uh, my theory is that we don't have enough competition because if you would have enough competition, then this will drive also the prices down. And uh, there is also the fact that a lot of companies are um, state-owned, subsidized. They don't need to bother to offer competitive services. So uh, that's why I was insisting on uh, having this uh, commercial pillar of our force rail package legislation implemented so that the markets would open and more competition will come for the benefit of consumers. I was also fortunate enough on the opening day of InnoTrans to spend some time with Mark Granger, the Chief of Strategy for Alstom Transport. Mark's role within Alstom, the multinational railway technology manufacturer, is to ensure the company is heading in the right direction when it comes to what the future of transport will bring. I wanted to find out some of the innovations they had planned for the industry and how the company was hoping to contribute to the fight against climate change too. Here, Mark explained some of the key discussions he was looking forward to having over the coming days in Berlin. Being in charge of the strategy, I'm supposed to know more or less everything that I am going to see during this week. But what is uh, very important for me in such an event is uh, how deep and how far the overall industry is going and in which direction. And in some of the key beliefs we do have, we can't be true alone. If we are alone, that means most probably we we are not in the right direction. If the other ones are not following after a period of time, that means they they do not trust in what we are doing. Generally, it's not a a good sign. So what is uh, very obvious, and I have not got enough time yet to go everywhere, but um, considering that this industry as a key role to play into creating a, a more sustainable world is pretty obvious. And it's in our DNA, we Alstom, and uh, our motto is uh, Alstom by nature, uh, which is not only words, it's uh, deeply embedded into our uh, strategy as a whole and in a lot of our activities where we are investing and uh, which kind of solution and so on. So pushing sustainability is one uh, key dimension. And the other one is... Uh, all what we, the industry, or the mobility at large, may benefit from is uh, digitalization, which is uh, coming through as uh, pretty obvious. Your role in strategy, obviously, is trying to look into the future. And I don't think you need to be ahead of strategies to see the climate emergency in the future. Alstom is obviously addressing that. Can you maybe outline some of the ways, some of the products, some of the things that you see Alstom able to contribute that is going to help us combat that emergency? I may answer to that question with a different uh, time period, if I may say so. Today, we are already capable to uh, provide a green print solution to uh, any customers nearly anywhere in the world. That will take time to go through, but it's already available. So I would say what I'm uh, leading as part of the strategy or even more particularly as part of the innovation is what we may improve or which sector of the market we may consider to attack where we were not capable to do it because of whatever technical consideration. So 
I would say uh, this is not behind us, uh, far from that, but as far my strategic role is concerned, that was my subject three or five years ago. What uh, will be the next uh, key route will be to uh, find some ways to provide solution and to enforce the model chief from private individual mobility to shared mobility because when even with a diesel traction a diesel train is far less emitting than the equivalent number of individual cars even though there would be uh, electric so of course we have solution to avoid also diesel in trains but uh, modal shift is a key lever to uh, push uh, the sustainability of this world and it's not obvious of course you may consider that uh, if we speak about shift from aerospace uh, planes to rail providing we are capable to offer on long distance quick trip encompassing everything including all the time you are losing at the airport and so so that is one way but i would say it's not the most difficult the most difficult is to attract on collective mobility all the the mobility uh, needs that are coming from people who are living in a low density zone and it's the case everywhere in the world because a lot of people have no other choice than using an individual means of transport so um, what will be the trend will be to offer solution for that and that is can't only consider the mobility solution it has to be included into a a more global approach of uh, urbanization as an example and of course when the city already exists you can't change easily everything when it's a brand new city that exists some sometime in the world then you may start thinking about uh, organization and architecture that allows people to reach the majority of their transport needs at uh, walking distance and that is the ideal of course maybe it's not very good for Alstom future but if we could dream about a world where you do not need anymore to move somewhere far away from where you live you may go to work go to school go to purchase whatever you have to purchase or all what you need to do theater all that being accessible either by walking or using bicycle that is ideal but this of course is a the most optimistic view for the long term uh, city or what they are and uh, it's not uh, absolutely obvious but nevertheless the existing cities are growing and outside of the city are some places where we may provide solutions in order to reach that there is another trend that I've not quoted in the two first one or a specific one of the digital which is uh, autonomous capability of the transport mean and for that of course we have already a metro without any uh, drivers so we have solution uh, already existing but they are in a, in a dedicated infrastructure they are operating in a dedicated infrastructure the topic of climate change reaches all corners of the world including the very different and in some instances hostile environment of australia 
Here's Carolyn Wilkie from the Australasian Railway Association again, explaining the opportunities her country provides in the sustainability space. I think the interesting thing with Australia is because of the political environment at the moment, we have a unique position where we have a number of Labor governments and they're all very interested in what the future will be. So, for example, uh, the South Australian government is really interested in hydrogen and green hydrogen and what they're going to provide. And so I think because of the nature of where we're at in the cycle of our development, I think perhaps we might be able to bring in some of these technologies a bit earlier on a large scale than what Europe might be able to. I think the Australian rail research environment, there is some work, particularly in the recycled materials space. I think the uniqueness of Australia, though, is actually the temperature ranges that we have. So when we implement things you know, there's going to be some quite harsh environments that we're introducing it to, and I would think that that would be interesting lessons for Europe as well. But I think with anything, you know, we have 20 years of growth planned in rail, and so I think there are lots of really interesting opportunities, and certainly I know that there are a lot of European organisations and American organisations that are looking to bring their technology into the Australian market. So time will tell, but certainly everyone's very keen on this space right now. And it's really interesting in Australia because we have all these state governments and one of the biggest impediments to our development as an industry is a lack of harmonisation and interoperability between our states. And so this whole sustainability space, we're almost starting from scratch and making a real effort as an industry to say, let's not all go and do our own things in our different states, let's work as one country and try to do this in a holistic way. So that's really exciting for us. Beyond the big topic of sustainability, the halls of Mesa Berlin were awash with bright ideas for making the trains of the future better, more comfortable and more efficient. On day one, we were also able to steal some time with Michel Frankenberg, the CEO of Siemens Mobility Software. Michel explained how important it is to look at the whole passenger experience from door to door and how his business was hoping to improve the passenger journey from first mile to last. At Siemens, we believe that's not just about building great trains, it's about the overall passenger experience. So we believe that we have to be more Apple-like. Apple has revolutionized the smartphone industry by bringing software in a better way to open app stores, to have an open ecosystem somehow. And that's something what we are trying to do uh, with the software for mobility as well. Just as one example, trains are go- only going from station to station, but at the end, the customers want to go from door to door. That means we have to integrate the door to door experience into the overall process. And that's why we invested in some companies doing stuff like that. One is Padam, they are building software for demand responsive transport, because mobility is not just about solving problems in the cities, that we have good subway systems that are working, but of course in the countryside you have to solve the first last mile problem as well. And it's not just about uh, typical buses running on a, on a fixed route uh, with a fixed timetable, it's about more dynamic solutions. You have shuttles today with a driver, but in the very near future without a driver. That means they are absolutely competitive by pricing. And this is something which we have to orchestrate and which we have to integrate in the public transport network that we really can move people arriving with a train, uh, changing to a demand-responsive shuttle with direct information about the delays, that we can ensure their connection. And this is something where we want to make the passenger experience overall from door to door much better. And what we are talking about there is then about mobility as a service. That means operators or even third parties can offer that as an integrated service where you have at the end one account and one app where you can book the entire journey. With inspiration abound, what has remained clear around the exhibition grounds throughout this event is an optimism for the future of mobility worldwide. 
That optimism was underlined by a European Commissioner for Transport, Adina Valian, when she addressed the crowd at the opening ceremony about the second golden age of transport. I asked the Commissioner what that second golden age looked like to her. It looks like high-speed rail connecting all the capitals of Europe, at least. We want to double the services or the volumes of merchandise moved by rail by 2030 and triple it by 2050. So this is a golden age in which train is again the most attractive way for people and companies to move in Europe. I think there is a momentum for this and we have uh, the industry and the operators, everyone should recognize this uh, momentum and do not lose it. The rail industry has in no way been immune to the challenges facing the world. Climate change has made sustainable thinking an imperative. The pandemic has crushed passenger numbers and the war in Ukraine has ruptured supply chains and thrown up questions about energy use. But transport is innovating fast and there's a real sense that now is the time to fulfil the potential that so many of our guests spoke of. Rail travel has a bright future and with the right investment, that second golden age looks to be right on track. For Monocle in Berlin, I'm David Stevens. And that's all for this week's episode of The Urbanist. Make sure to keep an eye out for more urbanism stories in the latest issue of Monocle magazine, available in all good newsstands, or, of course, by subscribing at monocle.com. Today's episode was produced by Carla Trabello and David Stevens, and David also edited the show. And to play you out this week, here's Pavement with Transport is Arranged. Thank you for listening, city lovers. I know you're my lady, but I could trickle, I could flood a voice. Coach taught me to sing, he couldn't teach me to love all the above.